This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shops, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is the Sunday Roundup. Boris Johnson is to pay a visit to Northern Ireland tomorrow to try to smooth things over following the Assembly elections earlier this month. With Sinn Féin securing the most seats for the first time and the DUP threatening not to form part of the government at all, it does not promise to be a particularly stress-free day at the office. The Business Secretary, Kwasi Kwarteng, joined Sophie Ridge to discuss what the government intended to do about the contentious Northern Ireland Protocol. Obviously, um, the DP have said that they don't want to engage in power sharing until parts of the Northern Ireland Protocol are fixed, in their view. And various cabinet ministers, including Liz Truss, including Dominic Raab on this programme, have been very clear that they don't think the protocol is currently working. Does that mean that the UK government is prepared to unilaterally scrap parts of that protocol, even without EU agreement? Absolutely right. I mean, throughout this whole debate, even before... Uh, the protocol and the treaty uh, was uh, was conceived. We've had a, a number of people in this country whose presumption has been that the British government is always wrong and that the EU is always right. Uh, and that's clearly too simplistic. We've tried to be uh, uh, enter into good faith. Uh, we've tried to negotiate. Uh, we've drawn the treaty. But we've always said, even Article 16 of the protocol itself says, that it can be um, abrogated unilaterally um, if, if it's shown not to be working. And clearly... Uh, if political stability is our number one priority and people are saying that they won't uh, go into power sharing if it isn't changed, we have to consider very you know, carefully how we can change it. That would break international law, though, wouldn't it? Well, I'm, I'm unclear as to this because clearly Article 16 is part of the protocol itself. And when you read, I did actually uh, take care to read it again uh, just before the programme. It says quite clearly that there's a scope uh, to change it unilaterally. Unilaterally means that we can do that ourselves without having to reach agreement uh, on the, uh, with the EU. And that's, that's in the treaty. The Article 16 is part of the protocol. Whatever happens, though, there will be a response from the EU uh, if the UK did decide to go down this route. It could mean a trade war. And let's be clear about what that means. That means tariffs. That means things getting more expensive for people in the middle of a cost-of-living crisis. Well, let's see what happens. I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. Well, um, that's what the EU have said. And also, I mean, any tariff uh, situation would have to be... They'd have to go through arbitrators. It's not something that they can just do, uh, you know, willy-nilly, arbitrarily, immediately. Uh, they have to go through uh, arbitrators. And, you know, let's, let's uh, rewind a bit. We got into a lot of problems because we simply ruled out uh, the ability to walk away. Um, Article 16 is enshrined. There's a reason for it. It's a, it does allow uh, people to act unilaterally. And we've got, ultimately, to be prepared to, to, to invoke it. We've even, got ultimately... if, even if it could mean things getting more expensive for people in the UK? So our number one priority is political stability of Northern Ireland. Now, if many people uh, there, uh, nearly a majority, are saying that they cannot actually have a, a, an executive uh, without looking at the protocol again, we have to be prepared to do that. And as far as I'm concerned, we have absolutely the right uh, to, to invoke Article 16 and to reopen or re-examine the protocol. Ridge brought up an interview she conducted with Boris Johnson shortly before the 2019 election in which the Prime Minister insisted that there would be no need for any border checks between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK, except in very specific circumstances. So pretty clear there. Absolutely no checks. And he said it numerous times. Yeah. Did he not understand the deal? 
No, or was he, he fully, lying to me? No, no, no. He fully understood the deal. But of course, it, like in anything, uh, you have to see what the actual practice uh, was when, when it but happened. No, nobody else did, though, because the point I make in that interview is mm. that the government's impact assessment, the Brexit secretary, the leaked documents, all of those were saying, yeah, there are going to be checks. He the, was on his own saying there wouldn't be. I, th I, think, the Prime Minister, the I think the Prime Minister was right to say uh, that we thought it would be a much uh, smoother uh, pr process. That, that's not what he was saying. He wasn't much saying there smoother. would be light touch checks. That, uh, he was saying there would be absolutely um, no checks, and, and that was wrong, wasn't it? Well, what's happened now is I think the EU have been uh, unreasonable, frankly. Um, I, mean, I was just reading a report that they, they won't use an IT system uh, uh, because uh, it, it, it breaks some of their sort of legalist... A way of, of, of thinking. They won't show much flexibility, and that's why we're in the position uh, we're in. It's, it, the, the protocol isn't working, and we have to be prepared, and it's an urgent problem, and we have to be prepared uh, to invoke Article we're, 16. Which, we're in the position uh, we're in because the deal that Boris Johnson signed and negotiated, it was inevitable there was going to be checks on the Irish Sea. So That's why. I don't think it was inevitable that uh, the EU would be as intransigent or, uh, as they have been. And it wasn't inevitable that the people of Northern Ireland would respond in the way they did to the protocol because they've actually experienced it. Sophie Rowe spoke to the Shadow Climate Change Secretary Ed Miliband and quizzed him over Labour's much-touted windfall tax designed for oil and gas companies. There are some who say, who criticise you from inside your own party, the left, who say that your ideas at the moment are not big enough. They're not radical enough. Well, let's talk, well, let's talk about the ideas. So we're going to give Conservative MPs, the whole House of Commons, a chance to vote on Tuesday on the windfall tax. I talked about the social emergency in this country. I think it is obscene, frankly, that we have, as a result of soaring energy bills, oil and gas companies making billions of pounds in our country, and the government refuses to put a windfall tax on them. It is shameful. It should, shame, it should shame them. And we're saying to Tory MPs on Tuesday, in that vote in the House of Commons, that the, the, the case for a windfall tax is now unanswerable. You see that across politics, across business. The chair of Tesco calling for it uh, the other day. We're saying to Tory MPs, right, you've got the choice now. You can vote for a windfall tax or you can explain to your constituents why you are refusing to provide them the help that the, the, the they need. And, the and every day, let me just make this point, every day that goes by is, a, is sleepless nights for millions of people with this government refusing to help. Is the windfall tax radical enough? Because it is a one-off, presumably, unless you're proposing to tax these companies every single year. It's a one-off windfall tax. Well, and it's also something that the government has said it is looking at. Well, they've said, you know, what, what, they've said different things every day of the week, frankly. You know, the, what's, but is the, it radical enough? That's what I'm asking. Well, in, the, in the big picture. It's a, look, look it's, it's a really important response to this cost of living crisis. And, and when you say, is it radical enough? I was in a citizen's advice in my constituency on Friday. Somebody on universal credit just thought there's absolutely no chance of them paying their energy bill. That person will get £600 help under Labour's plan. £200 across the board, £600 help for that, uh, for, for, for the woman I met. And that would make a difference there. Now, if you're saying, is that a starting point, is there more? Yes. Let me tell you, the £28 billion climate investment pledge that we've put forward, a massive investment in the future of this country, in jobs, in automotive, in steel, in new industries like hydrogen, in insulating homes to cut bills, a 10-year plan, a 10-year mission for this country to rise to the climate emergency and invest in the future. Uh, would, is that radical? Absolutely it's radical. Do we need more things like that? Of course we do. I Raywith also challenged Miliband over Labour's recent performance in the polls and at the local elections, and what that meant about the party's prospects under Sir Keir Starmer. You're still only, what, five points ahead in the polls? Shouldn't you be surging ahead? You've got 
Boris Johnson, who's been fined for breaking his own COVID laws. You've got more than 100 fines in Downing Street and Whitehall. Energy You're bills, fuel. Uh, yes, but why then well, is it not translating to the polls? Look, I, I, I learned a lesson from being leader, which is you don't look at the polls. Um, you look at real results that were happening, and those real results showed progress. But look, showed pro uh, yes, but, but that's the point, isn't it? It is progress. That's, that's from a historic defeat, from one of from, from one of our worst but election it, defeats that we'd that we'd ever had. You know, I mean that that is a he said. You know, the thing about Keir is that he is somebody not just of decency and integrity, but he has his eyes on the prize. He knew when he took over it was a mountain to climb. We're climbing the mountain, but we've got further to go. You know, what excites me is showing people, you know, I just want to take a step back, because I think what most of your viewers are thinking about is what is happening in this country, which is a social emergency. You know, seven million people, Sophie, skipping meals in Britain, one of the richest countries in the world, because of rising energy bills, rising inflation. And what we're interested in doing is showing that we've got the solutions to that challenge. But if, if you've only made progress at this point, and given what we've just been talking about, well, given what I've said about the Prime Minister and his fines and, and the situation we are in, you should surely be surging ahead if you are going to I, I win don't, an, an election. I don't, I don't see it that way. Look, people Why not, because people, I don't understand. Because, because the next general look, election slamming, is two years people away. People are slamming, slamming doors in our faces in 2019. People, you know, including in my constituency, people had lost trust in us. And 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 so we're, you know, we, we had a massive task, and Keir had a massive task. If what you're saying to me is we've got much, much more to do to, to, to win the next election and prove, our, prove to the British people that we can be the change that I think they need, of course we do, and let's, let's get on to that. And finally, Ridge sought Kwarteng's two cents on the results of the Eurovision Song Contest last night. We've come second. What is going on? Well, we had a very good contestant. Sam Ryder did a good job. Uh, and uh, he got lots of votes. And I mean, it feels it, right that Ukraine won, of course. Well, of course. And I think uh, the important thing, I, I thought, was when President Zelensky said uh, that it should be hosted as is customary in the, in the winning country, and that will be Ukraine. And I look forward to seeing it. Uh, when it's held there. And they've talked about um, it being even in Mariupol. I mean, is that something that the government uh, in the UK would try and support to try and make sure that does Absolutely. Happen? I mean, uh, President Zelensky was very clear that it will be hosted in Ukraine, and he mentioned Mariupol, and that's what we, we hope to see. And obviously the country might need support from others to make that dream become a reality. Absolutely. I mean, what we've done uh, is really support Ukraine uh, right through from the beginning of this crisis, and we'll continue to do so. That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman, and this podcast was produced by Matthew Taylor. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffee House Shots podcast on the iTunes Store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily evening blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening, and do join us again next week. <laughs>